0: Welcome to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz, and I'm obsessed with the future of work and all things co-working. In our first season, we'll be focusing on one of my favorite things to roll around in my brain, design. We'll be interviewing specialists from all over the world in this five-part series, and we'll be exploring revolutionary design, new models, and the future of health and wellness in design. So let's get started. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Liz Elam and I'm so excited to have my friend Philip Van Hout on this morning in Austin, Texas, but it's this evening in Belgium, correct?
1: Yes, indeed. It's just turned four o'clock, and the sun is uh, coming down at this moment in Bruges, Belgium.
0: Ah, excellent! And Philip, my first question to everybody, especially during these crazy times, is: How are you? How's your family?
1: We're blessed. We're we're fine. Me and Rosemary, my wife, the family is doing well, and. Therefore, I also have a network of friends that I can tap into, rely on, and given that the topics which I focused on for a long while become, if have gone into orbit, <laughs> it's so enjoyable to have so many people appreciating uh, learning things that they either couldn't deal with uh, that they can now get from me in terms of best practice. So the answer is yes, I feel very good.
0: Awesome. Awesome. It's so great to hear. And, you know, I know your background, but I know a bunch of folks that are listening don't. If you don't mind, mm-hmm. could you just give us... It's quite an amazing journey. But if you could just give us your journey, I'd super appreciate it. And then we'll rock into some of these questions.
1: Sure. I'm going to give the fast track, right? So Belgium, Flemish, I grew up in a family where my dad was an engineer turned sales guy. And our family was full on uh, in terms of uh, customer service quality, and so forth. So I had spoon-feeding of everything that had to do with commerce. I also was brought up in a fairly deep Catholic kind of environment where altruism was the thing to uh, foster. And at the age of 16, I became a DJ, a DJ in a dance school, and therefore my uh, reluctancy to be on stage was gone very soon thereafter. I um, studied a combined uh, degree in uh, economics and engineering with a major in marketing and started to work uh, with a company that's now called Accenture and spent uh, about 20 years in the computing industry with companies like Dell, where you were also Mm -hmm. at a point in time, and then 20 years in telecommunications, where I was with Sony Ericsson, but also So with Plantronics, now called Poly. But relevant to this uh, session about, uh, it was always for me a bit of technology push, saying to people that technology could increase their productivity. But that sort of flipped 15 years ago when I became conscious of the fact that, uh, that the tool is only one thing, but what we really should be striving for and I became enthusiastic about with uh, realizing the potential of human beings. Yeah, And then about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity for the first time to dive into the topic of work environment and workspace. Because uh, my boss, the CEO in California, asked me to consolidate at the end of the uh, crisis in 2008, uh, buildings uh, three into one. And that got me into... What kind of spaces do we ideally need to work in? So that's kind of a snapshot of where I come from and how I got into what we're going to discuss today.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. So Philip and I have met all over the world and one at one point we were both in Amsterdam and we were at Coworking Europe and I took you up on a tour of a building there and I was actually recording an episode of Workplace Trends yesterday with uh, Tori in Australia with Well, and I was saying this building just blew my mind. Can you tell me a little bit about that building and what got you started down your journey with Well?
1: yeah well so as i just mentioned in 2010 i had my first assignment to uh, reshape a space for people to work in at that point in time i used uh, least man as one of the first to ask all of the associates whether they were happy with the space provided to mm-hmm. work in and the the answer coming back majority was acoustics of the space are very very poor here we got to fix that right so we basically went on a journey to become excellent in uh in in soundscaping and we uh, designed an acoustic temple. That place very soon uh, won the award of the UK uh, Facilities Management Association and actually jumped to the top of the charts of Leesman with a score of 83 for the building there. At that point in time, I had so many people coming to ask me what we had done and which consultants we were using. The answer is we didn't have money for consultants. That then... I was more than half of the time I was spending uh, explaining to people what it was. And my marketing director said, the best thing for you to do is to jot it all down in a book, which is the <laughs> Smart Working <laughs> Manifesto that was translated then in four more languages. And so and I copied that. Uh, in various um, sizes um, I mean offices of 150 25 people and then uh, we decided to move our headquarters from the UK to the Netherlands yeah mm-hmm. and uh, as I arrived there uh, the topic came on the table that our lease of our uh, office there was about to expire and we were looking around in the neighborhood for another lease to be picked up and do some refurbishment as part of the negotiation and but all the time we sort of had to compromise versus what we had done before and we wanted to do So my boss said to me he said hey philip uh, i mean the buildings that you have like redesigned are more valuable than they were to begin with shall we just build one from scratch and i said yeah why not? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Would twenty twenty-five million dollars be sufficient to do something decent?" I said, "Yeah." Now, so yeah, it, it yeah, happened that, <laughs> exactly. So it just happened that next to where we had the office in Dorp, close to uh, Schiphol Airport, uh, there was the new like space, right? Like which was the uh, twenty twenty uh, office space, uh, which was basically the bee's knees in terms of, uh, I would say, the the whole. Recycling cradle to cradle kind of principle, mm-hmm. and as I was talking to Kutzhariasa, which was the gentleman driving this whole development, he was very fascinated about my approach of listening to associates with lease and the focus on acoustics. He said, "He said, hey, I I think let's do let's do a deal here. You you." Teach me, or you learn me uh, all the things that you are specializing in. I'm going to help you with everything that has to do with sustainability, and with that came biophilic design and the acoustics, and everything sort of came to happen. It it so happened, then in, in 2017 it was open to the public, and very shortly thereafter you had the opportunity to visit. But it is just absolutely fantastic that I had the benefit of having the coaching of Julian Treasure, which is the Pope mm, of mm-hmm. sound and acoustics, and of course William McDonough, which is the author of Cradle to Cradle. And I, I only heard about Biophilia around 2014, 15 for the first time. Well, as a label, uh, came onto my radar when I was in uh, New York for a particular affair in 2015. At that moment, I was just launched. Uh, I, I didn't manage to actually pursue the Well certification because our budget had expired and Well doesn't come for free. But I would say a lot of the ideas of Well had actually been implemented short of, but, uh, but I know that we have now buildings in that environment that are well certified, and as you will have seen, uh, version two of Well that was launched in October this 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 year. Uh, mm-hmm. It's wonderful to see how they have now made it far more affordable, also for small and medium enterprises to look at. Mm-hmm. It's gone into residential, it's gone into health. So I'm actually very pleased with the fact that well is keeping at it to make sure that this becomes relevant and implementable. You know, you and I talked about this about a year ago, that I felt that the well buildings and the certification was sort of for the privileged and those mm-hmm. that, can, that can afford it, but now it's going main scale. So that's the long and short of this thing. It I think the, that office is now the number three still on the charts of leasement in terms of a building that people can be proud of, can work in, be very productive and so forth. Yep.
0: Yeah, I love it. Well, and I know a lot of people in co working don't know about the Leasman Index. Could you just give us a, a just a really quick primer on that?
1: Sure. Um, so the Leasman Index was uh, created by. Tim Oldman and Annie Leeson, which uh, both came from the UK background. And Tim at that time had worked in charge of strategy and marketing, I think, with uh, uh, Vitra. And he was not very happy that in the industry of buildings and real estate, that there was no sort of evidence about the results and the outcome of a building. So I remember him uh, calling upon me early in 2010, I think it was, where he said, Philip, I'm going to provide a service to people, which is like an employee workspace satisfaction survey would that be something that you think is there's a marketplace where i said well I actually need this now because my boss has tasked me to come up with a new building, but I've never done this as a managing director. So mm-hmm. I need um, a sort of big data evidence collection. And so Leisman is working on the following. Uh, it, uh, it assumes in know-how work that there is 21 activities. And for each of these 21 activities, people are asked, every individual, to say how important it is in a qualitative sense, and then the extent to which they are supported in this particular activity. Next to that, people then have to raise 25 physical attributes of a uh, a workspace and 25 service aspects. Out of that comes uh, a whole set of scores that you can dial into by age, group, gender, kind of role that you have, uh, age and so forth. And I remember as a management team, we were able to dial into what the problem was within a week and at, mm. based on that we then basically created the specification of the workspace that we wanted to have so we had a total score that mind you that was for about 450 people around eight offices in Europe we had a total score of 63 which was not something to be proud of the threshold where you start to be good at least when is 70 and we and that's typically done in a pre-occupation survey where you ask people that have lived in a space that is up for an upgrading yeah and then you typically ask people after three to six months to have a survey, post occupation survey, to see mm-hmm. um, what the new result is. We shot up from 63 in the UK to 84 and were top dog at that point in time. The Leaseman Index, also called the benchmark, has a threshold of 70 that you need to aspire mm-hmm. to, right? Now, yeah. Leasman has also launched in the beginning of this year because of COVID and pandemic, the Leaseman Home Index. So they can hmm. now compare um, which things uh, uh, you can do best at home versus in the office. Interesting. And it's now abundantly clear and confirmed. By the way, they're now at the tally of, I think, 150K people that they have surveyed these people already had the Leaseman survey for the office environment, mm. and they've now been able to tap into it. and they are contrasting what are the features and facilities that are best in either places and so forth, and also some very interesting things coming out of it. Let me give you the key finding that I uh, uh, propagate. Number one is that of those people working from home that they had in their sample, let's just call them mm-hmm. cor- corporations, that only. Four out of ten people have a dedicated closed space at home. Thirty mm-hmm. percent of the people have a dedicated area that is not, I would say, isolated from others uh, or noise mm-hmm. in the home. Thirty percent of the people have neither of the earlier. They have they have to do with the kitchen table, the sofa, the bed. The worst case, the bathroom. So that means that six out of ten people don't have. The accommodation to work productively, and they show the the hit that it gives. On productivity and so forth, it also illustrates everything that has to do with social isolation. You you will love to see the results of that. Mm -hmm. I'll send you uh, some details of it. You can share that with with your people. And it applies. I'm absolutely sure with co working spaces too. So very very interesting. Yeah.
0: I mean, I just get all riled up when you know the Googles of the world are like, "Oh, you're going to stay home till July of 2021," because to me, it's a cop out. That's the easy thing to do under the guise of this is the most healthy and safe thing. I don't believe that. I I believe that it is a money-driven decision and I think it is a crime to send everybody home when it's a privilege to have an office space in your home and that the vast majority of people are not working ergonomically. They're isolated, they're lonely, they're this is not the way. This is one of the ways. Yeah. but this is not the way. So I'd love no. to hear how you no. think COVID is no. changing the future of work and of work design.
1: Yes. Well, first of all, I think uh, the, there is a sil- the, the silver lining of COVID is that those that were naysayers and said that you cannot work outside the office, whether it is at home or somewhere else, are proven wrong. We have actually yeah. taken their foot off the break. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, at this very moment, people are oversimplifying this and saying we're gonna go down mm-hmm. to hybrid whereby you're gonna be two days in the office and three days at home, or the reverse, depending on what your preference or your bias is for these things. And the answer is ho 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 activity-based working is about you considering and discovering all places where you can work and not work, and then choosing and matching that for the activities that you do. This is what I've called for a long time now, individual workspace portfolio management. Like you manage your investment portfolio, mm-hmm. you have a portfolio of your your your, your garden, your f- favorite co-working space or co-working spaces, mm-hmm. uh, in-company co-working spaces and so forth. So um, the, the, when I explain this to, exa- I'm doing quite a bit of advisory with, uh, with directly with board of directors. I mean, for the first time in my, from what I know, I mean, workspace and work environment it has become a boardroom matter, right? Mm-hmm. This is stuff that mm-hmm. was never discussed. Now you have people coming and saying, Philip, can you give us a crash course in what this is all about? Saying, yes, I can do this. When I give the first like, executive, um, I would say, uh, introduction to it, say, ooh, I mean, we didn't realize there was so, so many ticks." And you tell me that there is a, a well-building standard that is existing for six years. How, <laughs> how come we never heard of that? And by the way, you, facilities manager, how come you cannot spell well? Uh, well, not spell well as the well that we talk about. And, um, and so there is this enormous got to catch up. Also, the smarter executives are saying, we cannot reinvent the wheel here. This, These things have been building up over the last three and a half decades for activity-based mm-hmm. working. The co-working industry has been around and maturing for 10 plus years, as you know better than I. So it's like, God, you got this palette of things that you can start to work with. Can I give you an introduction course on activity-based working? Can we start to talk about the rituals of know-how work? The fact that if you are working remotely and distributed, that you will make more noise that's the reason why i advocate that we need work studios closed work studios at home but also closed work studios in the office because when you're going to go to the office the new rule is remote collaboration will be equalized by people being in front of a screen and not together around the screen on a boardroom kind of table. So that means you go to the office, 80% of the time you're going to be in like a room for you on your own. But who wants to go and sit in a phone booth of one square meter? No. (laughs) I mean, I'm sitting in a room here, which is a bit oversized, and therefore I don't want to talk about it too much. But for me, a work studio is something that is like a radio TV podcast studio. I have the lights on at this very moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Combined with windows and things like that, now, the, most of the radio studios that you go to are completely dark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but you think I want to work in the darkened space all the time? No. I mean, because I'm a fan of nature, I want to see green. I have mm-hmm. a skylight. I see the clouds, right? So we're talking about something new, a work studio, which is part of a work home. The work home is a definition that is not even agreed upon. So that means that working from home has been like wiped out from the vocabulary over the last 150 years since we started the industrial revolution. So do you know that in the UK, since the year 2000, the average home space for the dwelling is 50 plus kind of square meters for a couple. Yeah, that is together, maybe with the upcoming arrival of a child or something like that. I spend a lot of time with Poland. It's less. And there's people in, in mm-hmm. these kind of circumstances living with two kids. I mean, how mm-hmm. can you have two children doing remote learning and two people working from home? What we're saying is this, it doesn't work. So we are in a very, very sad situation where the landscape offices that we have in the offices of the past decade is no, you're, no longer adequate for the work mm-hmm. that we need to do under the circumstances, and the home's not. Now what happens at this very moment is when you ask people, can you work from home well, the vast majority will say, yeah, 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 why? Because they're scared <laughs> to go back to the office. Yeah, because of health, scared, the situation. And they're
0: scared it'll be taken away from them if they don't say yes.
1: Exactly. And but they also feel that they can achieve a lot, and they don't want to say to their boss, actually, you know what? At home it doesn't work really too well. Because the boss is going to say, well, that's not a problem. Come back to the office. So a lot of people, sorry to say it, are lying and basically saying to people, it's all hunky dory at home. It isn't yeah. hunky dory, right? Mm-hmm. That's the reason why the co working space is there to help fill the big void and potentially to give people a space that has been designed the way you and i think about it right not Mm -hmm. the kind of uh, standard uh, run-of-the-mill co-working space therefore opportunity opportunity
0: yeah huge opportunity and i was i was saying yesterday i was like i feel guilty saying this but i also feel privileged that i get to live through this time that's going to accelerate so much change and in my opinion change for the better because Mm -hmm. i think one of the things that's really changed is um the choice the freedom of choice to shifted from yep. the employer to the worker. And the worker yes. now gets to say, well, I am gonna work, you know, at yep. this co-working space on Mondays and I'm gonna work from home on Tuesdays. And yep. Wednesdays, you know what, there's a training I need to attend. So I'm gonna go into the office space for that. Yep. So I think a lot of the yep. office spaces are actually going to be turned into more of meeting space and gathering yep. space yep. and 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 also some amenity space. I was just talking yesterday about the room in your building that had the snowfall and how it was like I walked in and felt like an exhale. And like we need spaces for disconnection and connection. Yep.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's actually very... Now, Liz, there's a lot that needs to happen. First of all, people need to start to understand what the nature of their work is. I haven't talked to you about it, but I'm currently talking about four clusters of know-how rituals. The first one mm. is called energizing. Energizing, making sure that you have energy in the tank to work, is now priority number one. And in our world of work, energizing is something you're supposed to do before or after, but definitely not during work. So right. it starts with the E of energizing. Yeah. Then work proper starts, and it starts by authoring, whereby you have been given an assignment, uh, you need to solve a riddle, you're going to... Make sure that you have well understood what it is. You're going to source some best practices. You're going to add a bit of sizzle in terms of creativity because you're curious, you're inspired, you come up with something new. And this whole of altering is where the personal value add is made, number Mm -hmm. one. So energizing, altering. The third one is then presenting, and I call it selling. A lot of people produce something, they ponder their egg, but they are very limited in articulating in understandable terms to a target audience what it is. So therefore, presenting and selling is a very important thing. If you do that well, as I'm doing it now, I'm selling my convictions to you, (laughs) uh, I'm not silent at this very moment, you know this. And then the last thing uh, is, I I don't call it collaboration anymore, I don't call it meetings anymore, I use the term interacting, whereby every Everybody is not just, I mean, there as a participant, he is interacting proactively with people. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, people need to understand that the brain needs to be getting into a certain condition. If you want to alter, you have to Concentrate. You cannot have distractions, visual or audio. So therefore, concentration is the superpower of. So therefore, I, I remember you were having a discussion with uh, Jean-Yves Huard about the kind of glass boxes in We WeWork and so forth. I mean, mm-hmm. glass boxes are, are are hell for acoustics, right? Now, of course, mm-hmm. if you. So therefore, but but even also if you have for, it for one, pandemics, <laughs> exactly. So uh, so, but it's also what I'm saying is very important for people to understand the nature of their work and how the brain, their engine can perform in that. Number two, they need to understand activity-based working proper. But then in terms of smarter working, it's not about rules and so forth. It's about understanding the smarter working principles. I mean, the reason why I've come up with uh, principles is that a lot of executives say to me, don't prescribe what we're going to do. Tell us what the the rationale is behind this new flexible working phenomenon. And I'm going to quickly say to you what they are. There's three of them that pertain to the smarter professional, the individual. And they have to do with the fact fact that managers give and individuals insist on having freedom to decide on the where the when and the how to work number 2 mm-hmm. that we foster autonomy that self-directedness, which has been proven for nearly 40 years to be the fuel of human development, is understood by managers, and individuals alike, so that self-initiative and the kind of freelancing, entrepreneurial attitude becomes a default, no matter if you work for a corporation and be employed or a freelancer. Then, of course, mm-hmm. there needs to be the equality, whereby everybody, man, woman, all kinds of roles can apply for that. So these are the kind the kind of three principles for the individual. Then there is the smarter leaders. What should these leaders be have as principles? And the number one is, of course, that they need to be fueling behaviors that are relevant to be trustful. One gentleman I'm working with a CEO at this very moment has coined leadership as a service, and he basically refuses to use the term CEO, although everybody knows he's a CEO, but he basically says in this day and age, uh, it's the the first thing you've got to do as a manager is to understand the environment in, in which people are working and make sure that you enable these people to work in these places. And that ranges from the infrastructure to how you coach them and so forth. Of course, it needs to be result-focused rather than presence-focused. You know that. And then there is the smarter infrastructure where there's a couple of principles too. You will not be surprised to hear that nature at work is where it starts. If you look at the Maslow curve and you interpret it properly, then at the bottom level, we should give to people what animals get too right so therefore being in a space free to roam rather than to be in a cage right is where it starts Mm -hmm. let nature roam for you then there's the ergonomics realizing that human beings mean have arms at a certain length have a certain size and therefore whatever tools you give them hardware or software needs to be adapted to the capabilities and the constraints of human beings and there's of course the well-being and i think the well standard has done a super job in identifying the what is it uh, Eleven subsystems, mm-hmm. medical subsystems that dictate how a space can be uh, providing not just health but foster, I would say, a realization of potential. But so the the whole well-being, and particularly as defined by well well building standards, very important. To finish off at the tenth principle is that everybody, the individual and the manager, need to support the realization of potential. I mean, you you did refer in your uh, 2021 um, kind of. Um, directions that human revolution is all what it's about. In fact, the human revolution or the HR evolution is where it all started for me in Poland last mm-hmm. year. You remember we were there in November. Mm-hmm. I was there in May where they had an event on that topic. So I think the the chain of pearls is coming together, Liz.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so exciting. Yep. And I love hearing that, you know, we're having these discussions with corporations and with CEOs. Yep. And it's just, it's the moment you know and we get we get to be here for it which is exciting well
1: liz i would say it's more i mean you and i have a duty right this is not the time for us to stick our head in the sand right mm-hmm. now whether you and i get paid for it or not i don't care right um, mm-hmm. I, I, i'm still encountering some people which are sticking their head in the sand and i'm saying to them look i've explained it once or twice i mean if you sorry don't listen to me i'm moving on right because mm-hmm. a lot of other people that, so you you are known to be vocal and you should continue to bang the <laughs> drum on these things as I do
0: yeah yeah I'm like the future is health and wellness and if you don't believe it that's okay you'll just be left behind
1: yeah yeah oh, people are going to leave you behind customers are going to leave you behind and you might have a premature death <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you don't respect it either
0: yeah for sure for sure yeah. and you know Philip I just I love how your brain is just always going and always churning and so I'm super yeah. interested to hear where you go for inspiration? I think I
1: yeah. know, but I still want to ask. Well, I, of course, there's multiple layers. First of all, because I've been an international businessman for a long time, I'm, uh, I'm I'm not sucked into media a lot. But for more than 30 years, I've been reading the Wall Street Journal, even in the time where there was the Wall Street Journal, Asia and the Wall Street Journal, Europe, they're all gone. And I've been into their digital edition uh, since day one, 25 years. That's what I read, not necessarily every day, but definitely catch up on on the weekend and that's my source of inspiration number one the second thing I do is I look on the radar to those places that are inspiring be that work tech events in the past south by southwest and of course juicy you know I was a junior on co-working back uh, three <laughs> years ago and then I discovered you and Jean-Yves and I said wow Philip you gotta catch up man I mean you've not <laughs> been there and, and so then you go to the source of wisdom and you listen and I, I feel always obliged that when I learn so much from these people then then i have to start contributing too that's the deal right mm-hmm. but last but not least and you know this from me nature is a big <laughs> inspirer right so yeah i just uh, i just had my morning bicycle ride it's just amazing i mean if you cycle at the speed of between 20 or 30 kilometers an hour that's the 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 best arrival rate of nature stimuli um i mean so i mean cycling is, is absolutely fantastic
0: oh, i love it i love it and i bet you're missing the austin cycling seen it so.
1: Yes. Well, talking about the things that are painful over the past nine months, you know that I'm with my family in, in Austin and now we left, uh, I think it was on 25th of March, early, and we flew, we managed just to get out with BA in Dallas and they shut Dallas down that evening. We were managing to get to Heathrow and then the same evening, I mean, the shutters came down in, in London. Since that time, I've not been able to go back so that's a problem because I got my son, my daughter-in-law, my two grandchildren there. I got my yeah. son London, too. So, but we managed to see him uh, on and off every few months. But that's that's the problem. I mean, Austin is such a wonderful place mm-hmm. with the other places I can enjoy. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the tough part.
0: We'll pretend I didn't tell you it's going to probably hit 70 today.
1: Well, I know because my uh, my uh, my family <laughs> is coming back from Colorado, and my wife said yesterday to said, "Hey, I mean, they had beautiful weather up in uh, in the Rockies, and now they're going to get back to beautiful weather in Austin. They're spoiled."
0: <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, um, so, another question for you yeah. is on this work from anywhere. I've been hearing yeah. about a lot, and it's yeah. it's funny. I love how it's like hybrid work and work from anywhere, yeah. and yeah. spaces of service, and we have all these flexible, these new terms. Yeah and and really you know it's really just back to the worker has choice but where are we yeah. making mistakes in this work from anywhere
1: well well technology allows us to work all the time and everywhere but it's not because you can do it that you should do it i mean there's two mm-hmm. extremes in activity based working the we know the old extreme which is the 9 to 5 in the office corner office for the executives that's just Plain old hat, right? It's not productive. And then the other thing is the working 24 by 7 everywhere that you pass by in a car, even driving. That's nuts, right? It doesn't make sense. Why? Because from a time perspective, the human being has only that many slots every day that he can truly concentrate. So mm-hmm. uh, what I advocate to people is to start to look at what the ideal work day could be. Now, some people want to concatenate stuff old style by having a firm moment to start and to stop. But as they mm-hmm. find that they body and their brain cannot be in the right condition all the time they start to spread it out and to basically sprinkle work throughout the days and the weeks i think it's the latter one that becomes important it is challenging though because at that point in time you need to have people which at least at some point in time are available as you are right but then there is uh, which spaces that you should be working and they are directly linked to the type of work so for me i always say to people let's make sure that you spend about half of your time in personal work creating your value-add, and then half of the time taking it further with others, be it a customer or a colleague. Um, we are living in a world where collaboration and meetings has been overrated as being as essential as personal work. So but making sure that there is a balance of those type of work is number one. The second thing is... Um realizing that face to face is super duper and therefore those people that think that we can just work virtually only and, and work from home more than three days a week don't understand it's proven that there is effects, health effects, isolation effects after three days. So I think it's been written down already ten years ago that it's a no no for people to work more than three days from home. By the way, we all know we don't have any choice at this very moment. But if people are starting <laughs> to contemplate what next, then uh, um, they should put that in the mix, yeah? Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, on activity-based working, we talked about the time aspect. So I have my summer and my winter mode. In the summer, when there's light in the morning, I get on my bicycle first. And I know that my brain has been making associations and things during the night. And a lot of things that seemed either impossible or difficult suddenly get a lot of things falling into place in the morning. It's almost like wonderful. Then when I come back, I, I do have a, a proper groom, of course, uh, which is not standard for most people work from home, and, uh, and, a, and a good breakfast. And then the mornings are my kick-ass, kind of personal mm-hmm. value-add kind Same. of thing. Uh, Yes, Um, then um, I I do keep at a high pace even until an hour after lunch, but then I I don't try to force myself the same tempo in the afternoon because I think by that time typically the body needs a rest eight hours after we become awake and that's the best thing to either go for a walk with a friend or a colleague and just share what you've been working on validate things and so forth and then pick back up the tread maybe at four or five o'clock for another one or two hours But, but for me meals are sacrosanct never have a meal on your own I mean of course now it's a bit limited to a narrower circle that we have but you know me I would Always invite people for breakfast, lunch, or something mm-hmm. like that because they are so uh, so good. Um, on a on week pattern, I do get a bit tired by a Thursday evening in the standard kind of Monday to Friday week. So, uh, therefore, uh, from five o'clock on a, on a Friday, it's like don't ask me anything. Even people which are transatlantic. Saturday, absolutely nothing. I am having a tradition build up of working on a Sunday morning. Why? Because I discovered that typically leaders uh, get anxious and sometimes have to expedite a lot of people. Uh, to get going at the beginning of the week. So I've always worked on Sunday mornings for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I I can put my arms around finishing off the prior week and anticipating the next one, inviting people to get going on stuff, not the Sunday, but the Monday. And that gives me a flywheel of actually doing a business. So these are... Traditions, which I treasure, I also make sure that I have uh, enough sleep. I mean, sleep, you just cannot take any shortcuts and Otherwise, that little brain cannot process all the things that you gathered yeah. the day before. So these are my routines. Now everybody has to find its own routines, but... Be careful about time and in terms of spaces. Yeah, like I found out that in the morning, particularly in the winter time, I do wake up six o'clock onwards and I can do like one or two hours before breakfast. And it's amazing what I can do in that kind of quiet time. And I have a corner downstairs in the living room. Um, which is super duper. It's next to the to the fireplace, not always lit. Uh, so I, and and I navigate in uh, in the home. But but for, for instance, I cannot really stand being in the work studio all the time. I mean, the, 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 that closed space is just confining mm-hmm. for me. I just couldn't yeah. get out of it. Also, when, so I've defined also what a good work studio is about. You got to be able to yank open the windows. I mean, I cannot be in a place with stale air. Uh, mm-hmm. and now, how many buildings do we have where you cannot open I know. the windows anymore? Yeah. Now, the rules in many countries at this very moment is, particularly in schools, six times a day, is like windows back and front open and then have 15 minutes of uh, fresh air coming through. I mean, a lot of people would think you're nuts from an environmental point of view to do this. So all these things, um, I mean, lights, as you know, become very, very important.
0: Yeah, and I think I think a lot of it too is finding out, you know, what your cycle is like i'm i'm very similar to you i get up bright and early my brain is firing in the morning Mm -hmm. boy about two three in the afternoon i am burnt Uh, But then like, I actually gave myself permission to read during the workday, which was a new thing for me. And Mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying it. And so, yeah, it's like, you've got to find your own rhythm, your own things. And then I, I really want to stress, especially when everybody's working from home, Mm -hmm. setting some boundaries for yourself. I don't have email on my phone because I use my phone for calling people and for Mm -hmm. messages. I don't check email on my phone. I never check email on the weekends. It's mm-hmm. that's just not my thing. Yeah. I don't do it.
1: Now you point out a very good thing. Once people understand I would say the, the portfolio of time and space that they can work in, then they need to go on to a discovery trip. And that discovery trip needs to be repeated all the time. Try to work in a different place. Understand which areas are upsetting or lacking or... And, and then the so people need to mature and graduate into this activity-based working. And it's a journey that is not stopping. I mean, you, 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 um, you discovered, like me, the not a desk, right? Not a desk. Oh, I love it. Which is love this, it. Yeah. So you got one now, don't you?
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And it's on so, a window facing outside. And when I can't stand to be in my studio, I go there.
1: Well, exactly. But look, for those people which have very limited space, unfortunately, to work in, the not-a-desk space is less than a square meter, right? Mm -hmm. And and you're facing some skies and maybe some greenery. So what we're saying is that, for me, this is like the present I give people for the year end now. I'm saying to them, if there's one, actually, I recommend that some employers, if they want to give Mm -hmm. their people one thing, it's that. I mean, some people say, oh, I mean, it's the privacy of the private home. We cannot direct too much. I mean, then it might be liabilities and God knows what. (laughs) I mean, just give them something that they can work on. Get them to Mm -hmm. stand up. I mean, I typically, I'm standing at this moment, I'm standing Mm -hmm. two hours versus one hour sitting. How many people are doing these things, yeah. right? How many people yeah. can install a height adjustable desk at home, right? How many co-working spaces have height adjustable desks?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, there's so many, and and yeah, just get out for a walk. I you would mm-hmm. love. I've he, I hear so many people talk about it, and I myself have really, you know. Up to my walking, and it makes such a huge difference. It's amazing. Yeah. Just walk, just walk, people. Um, yeah. Okay, I have two more questions for you yes. that I have to get to. Sure. Uh, what's your superpower, Philip?
1: Well, superpower. I wouldn't label it like that. But anyhow, for me, it's two <laughs> things. I mean, I, so my my core strengths, if I can label them like that, is mm-hmm. number one, being curious. I was mm-hmm. just given that by my dad from very young age to always ask questions and so on. So I'm like a sponge. Uh, I just want to know why. I want to meet people. I'm just curious. But then I'm not just curious just for the sake of it. No. I mean, it's because I think that some things that can be relevant that I can use. So I'm a curator. So I'm a curious curator. Mm-hmm. I'm a cuckoo yeah and uh, and th- and that's Philip Philip is like he reads stuff he hears some, some things from some smart people and he says wow that's interesting we should be applying that I will take that into my curation and then I apply it and when it see it, it works I'm saying wow I gotta tell other people about it they gotta listen to me because I mean I was blessed to find this or to be given this so therefore I gotta share it with others so that's how I operate, curiosity and then the curation thereof, promoting best practice of things.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, I I, I see you. You, you are, recognize that, right? Oh my gosh, 100%. Yeah. Okay, and then my last question is, what are you most excited about for the future?
1: I am most excited about the fact that if, thank well, thanks amongst others to the pandemic, if people are, are making choices or are given better working environments, the chances are that they will be able to leverage far more of their potential to chart out better careers that will be goodness for many. It will be good for their health. Mm-hmm. It will be good for their... Earnings and income it might reduce a lot of social problems, crime and so forth so I think i see I see nothing but possibilities by the way i'm i 'm a realistic optimist right and uh, the thing that sometimes upsets me is that it takes such a long time for <laughs> for these things to to penetrate into people 's brains, right? And 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 that's also the reason why sometimes the academia and even the MBA programs are not taking some of these things to heart. I mean, I, you remember I was in a, in a session, I'm not going to mention the professor in Saba Southwest, who's uh, talking about uh, the, the the poor aspects of work in the United States. And I went to him after and said to him, so sorry, professor, but what are you doing about it? Is this part of your curriculum? And it was like, mm, ah, mm, Well, how, have you heard me talk about there being a need for a leadership driving license yeah it, in, it, you would not go to a financial advisor or you would not step on a mm-hmm. bus if somebody is not certified to do the job here on this planet we can basically promote the smartest kid in, in a job to be the boss and then the next thing is he needs to understand all of the human dimensions of people psychology the physiological aspects ergonomics, biophilia. I mean, if you riddle these these terms, then I mean there's only one out of twenty leaders, whatever level, that have ever learned about this, let alone experienced some of these things. Yeah. So I think we're gonna go into a world where leaders need to be certified, having been trained and having practiced what the human dimensions of running organizations is about. That that's that's critical path at this very moment.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And Philip it is always fun to talk to you. I wrote down some notes of some things I need to mm-hmm. look into more. And I always learn from you and I'm always inspired by you. And I want to thank you so much for your valuable time because this was priceless. It's
1: my pleasure. And I want to thank you for all the things that you've learned me.
0: <laughs> well, I, I find it shocking. I taught you anything. <laughs> thank
1: you. Whoa, whoa, and... whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't be too <laughs> humble. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thanks again and thank you guys for tuning in to Workplace Trends. We've got more on the way. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us for Workplace Trends. I'm Liz Elam and we will see you on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a like. We'll see you next time.